0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Let's go to First John chapter number three. And I think, I can't remember where we stopped last. And so uh, I think we got down to about verse number three. Is that right? We got to verse number three. So, all right, good, good. Thank you for keeping notes um, on all of that. And I want God to have his way. We got a lot of ground to cover tonight, but this tonight, what we're going to cover is so critical and it's so important for us as individuals. And so I know we prayed a little bit, but would you just pray right now and just Let's just ask that God's word would have a liberty in our heart tonight. I don't want these next few moments just to be me talking to you. I want it to be the word of God. So in your own words, just bow your head with me. Lord, I thank you tonight one more time for your word. And I ask as we approach your holy word. I pray that your spirit would have liberty and let your word speak to our heart and to our life tonight. Don't let this just be us passing time on a clock, but let your word speak to us. Challenge us, God. Encourage us. Inspire us tonight, Lord, to live as you want us to live in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. 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 Let's begin at verse number one, just for the sake of context. We're jumping on in here. 1 John chapter number 3 and our series is titled, Be Real, Be Real, The Realities of Christian Life, Be Who You Are. That's the focus. Who are you? What what are you? John talks earlier about being a light. Now we're going to look at some different things in the next couple chapters here. He said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, that is God, the Lord Almighty is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now I want you to pay attention to verse 6. Because verse 6 has caused in this next Four or five verses here have caused much confusion, let's say. Um, And I, I shouldn't say these verses have caused the confusion, but the misinterpretation of these scriptures have propagated a misunderstanding and a confusion in the church. And look at what he says Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now, we're talking about being in Christ. We're talking about belonging to Christ. We're talking about what it looks like to be a a, a believer, to abide in him, have the spirit of God in us. John's already gone through that light and darkness. He's given us that contrast. He has now taken it up a notch and said that we are the children of God. We are the sons of God. We take on his DNA. We take on his appearance. There is a similitude. There is a resemblance in our life that reflects the glory of God in our life. So Paul is, or not Paul, but John here is, is making this connection. And now he says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now herein lies the confusion. People take this verse, lift it straight, from, straight, straight out of this and lift it out of context. And just look at it in isolation. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And so one misunderstanding is saying this, that if, if, if I am in the Lord and the Lord is in me, the Spirit of God is in me, then if I sin, that means that I, I am not his. I am, I am not his child, that there's sin in me and I am doomed. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So therefore, if I commit a sin, then I've never known him. I've never seen him. He's never been work in my life. And the problem is, is that people take this to, to, to mean or to say that Christians cannot sin. And if you sin, you are not a Christian. And, and, and there gets to become all, all of these different doctrines and these different... Uh, theologies that come out from this, because we take this out of context. And then you read it, and you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I've known God, and I've seen God, but yet, I've also made mistakes, and I've sinned. Now, sometimes, I've sinned ignorantly. I didn't realize it. I wasn't aware of it. But then sometimes, I've sinned willfully, knowing exactly what I've done, even though, I'm a child of God, and I'm a Christian, and this causes problems because you look at this and say, well, then does that mean that I am not of God because I have sin in my life? Let's go on and look at this. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous, and look at verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. So you get this concept, these theologies that once you're saved, you're always saved. You cannot sin. It doesn't matter what you do. You're a child of God. You cannot sin. You can't willfully sin. And the problem is, for us, is that that's not what the rest of Scripture tells us, and what the rest of Scripture says. And so, if we walk away and say, "Well, I, I, I made a mistake today," how many have ever attempted a diet before? How many have ever cheated on that diet? How many didn't make it past day one on that diet? Now, you don't just you don't just you know. Walk past the food pantry when that you, you, you get up, you know, in the morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And all of a sudden, about three o'clock in the afternoon, you walk past that food pantry and that un- unopened box of Oreos is calling your name. You don't just venture in there and uh, you don't just venture in there and eat those and then walk out and say, what happened? <laughs> you know very well what happened. You knew what was going on we have in our, in our food pantry, we have uh, these little push lights and, and you can push these lights and, and uh, uh, I got to be careful because I have listening ears here tonight, but I, I, I've caught people before in the food pantry and, and it's big enough, you can walk in and, and, and you can close the door behind you and nobody knows that you're in there and uh, so if you're hiding uh, and, and, and I can't find them, I, I know one place to look is in the food pantry because uh, that's where the chocolate is. And I'll hear something and I'll think, "Uh uh-huh, I know what he's doing. And I go in there to open the door only to find out it's not him, it's my wife. (laughs) Uh Aha! I'm telling on her tonight, she's not in here. I have to confess, I may have gone in and eaten a cookie or two in solitude a few times in the last, A little bit also. You know what you're doing. And then when you're done, you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. The devil made me do it. it. I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish that wouldn't have happened. The same is true in our walk with God. John is establishing some truths for us. And he's laying some things out, but he is not presenting a new theology. John is not teaching a new theology. He is not coming to correct or, or, or to contradict what Paul has already established, what the Lord has already established, what the whole of Scripture has already established. Even though John is writing this as one of the final uh, pieces of the New Testament to be penned, John is not introducing some kind of new doctrine. And when we read this, we can walk away and we can say, oh, here it is. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed is in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. And he goes on in verse 10 and he says, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil, whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. I'm here to tell you that good people make mistakes and sinners uh, uh, are going to sin, but also saints get tripped up and stumbled, stumble and fall, and, and have to make recompense, and have to make restitution. When you look at the translation here, we're, we're reading, of course, it's translated into English here, and old, older English, and so some of that can be lost. But when you go back and look at the intent of the language that was written here, it was understood that when he says, "...whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin." The the verbiage and the language there is implying literally does not continue sinning, does not keep on sinning, that there is a pause, there is a stop. If you are born of God, you don't just continue on in your ways. there, There is an intentional change. It does not mean that you won't have days and mistakes and times where you've got to run back to the altar of repentance. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said this, he said, the good that I would, I do not, and that I would not, that I do. He said, when I try to do good, evil is present with me. So this does not mean that you are above sin or you are beyond sin. No, we cannot live in some kind of an arrogant state that, that we are now above uh, uh, remission of sin. Thank God for what he did uh, through the blood. We sang about that tonight. Thank God for what he's done in baptism. Thank God. But every day I get up, Paul says, the first thing I'm doing is crucifying my flesh because I know I'm susceptible to sin. And, it, and if I sin... What did he say? If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now that's not Paul, that's John. So John is not introducing a new theology in chapter 3 because what did he say? Now it's been a few weeks because I've taken a long time. But if you remember back in chapter 1, he said this in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He said, if you say you don't ever sin, He said, you're a liar. He said, that's why we need grace. That's why we need the mercy of God. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, but look at this. He said, I'm writing unto you that you sin not. My little children, these things. In verse 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Write I unto you that you sin not. He's writing to the church, imploring them, instructing them that they would not sin. What does that let us know? That lets us know that just because you've been to the water and you've been baptized doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to walk around like an angel without sin. He said, I'm encouraging you. Now, he's not saying that we have to sin. He's not saying that we choose to sin, but he's saying that we don't continue in sin. And he says, if any man sin, if any man sin, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Thank God. Thank God. If I sin, if I make a mistake, it doesn't undo the the waters of baptism. God doesn't undo everything that he's already forgiven me from. But I come back to an altar of repentance and say, God, okay, I, I need forgiveness today for this right here. I need forgiveness today. Do you pray that way? Do you pray every day? Do you ask God to forgive you every day? I've been living for God for a while, and I haven't found a day where I haven't needed to ask God, Lord, forgive me. Help me. Yes. Amen. 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 You remember me preaching a couple couple weeks ago? Pray for me. Yes. I know if I need prayer, I know you need a whole lot of prayer. <laughs> right? But, so, so so John is not saying that, that uh, um, once you're saved, you're never going to sin. You're never going to have any problems. He's not saying that if you, if you have been saved and you sin, you're now part of the devil and, you're, and, and, and God doesn't have anything to do with you. No, but he's giving us instructions. He's, he's teaching us that if we have been set free, if we have been redeemed, if we've been forgiven, it is our choice. Sin has no more hold on us. And I don't sin ignorantly. I don't sin blindly. I don't sin as a slave. I'm not a servant of sin. If I sin, it's because I willfully chose to do that. Amen. All right. So this is what he's saying. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And he that committeth sin is of the devil. So don't, don't make a, a, a mockery of what God has done in your life. Don't, don't live a sinful life, because that is, that is the fruits of the enemy. He says, of the devil. He said, literally, he is of the devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. What is sin? It is ultimately its rebellion against God. It is rebellion against God. You don't have to teach rebellion to any newborn. As sweet as they are, as wonderful as they are, they're going to learn that all by themselves. No is probably going to be their first word. That's a given. Nobody sits down and says, okay, now now here's, we got to practice. No. no. I don't know anybody that's ever taught their kids that, you know. Now I hear a whole lot of, yes, sir. Say it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, say it. Say it. But it's just innate in us. It's rebellion. Sin is rebellion in that. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the reason why Christ comes is so that he gives us a way out. He's given us a way out. And so now we can say, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin or continually commit sin. Continue to commit sin. You don't continue to sin. If you really are born of God, you do not continue to sin. There's not this willfulness. There's this desire to change in our life. That doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean that you don't trip up sometimes. Doesn't mean that you don't have moments where you say, man, I. I I've had some better days than this, and I didn't do so good today. i got to get this back in check in my life. But, but now, as a child of God, I'm aware of things. I'm aware, number one, of my need for a Savior, but I'm also aware of the blood of Jesus Christ that has lifted me up out of the pit of sin, and, and I've got more than that. I've got motivation to live a sinless life. So he cannot sin because he is born of God, for his seed is in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. So here's the deal. If you are a born-again believer, if you have been redeemed, and the love of God is in your heart, he said this, he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, that seems like a very powerful statement. That seems like a very bold statement. Uh, uh, Paul also makes a bold statement. I think it's in, no, it's not Paul, it's Peter. The Apostle Peter, and I think it's in 2 Peter. I, I didn't put this in my notes. But this is coming to my mind. And and Peter says, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue. And he goes through this whole list and he gives us eight things. And at the end of that, he says this. He says, if you do these things, you shall not fail. I was like, wow, that's a powerful thing. He didn't say, you're probably going to make it. If you do this, you're 90% chance. He said, if you do these things, you're 100% chance that you will not fail. His confidence is not in human ability, but his confidence is in the sovereignty of God. And that is what John is saying here. If you are born of God, if you are born again of God, if you love God, if you put God first, he said, you're born of God, you will not sin. If you keep God first, you will not sin. You won't live in sin. Sin won't have a hold over you. That is not speaking to our aptitude and our ability. That is speaking to the grace and the mercy of God and the empowering of the Holy Ghost in our life. Amen. You say, well, I'm not that strong. I'm not that great. No, you're not that great. I'm not that great. I'm not that strong either. But that's why he's given us his spirit. And if I love God... If I love God, I'm not ever, ever going to sin because sin is rebellion against God. Now, I may do some things that I realize, okay, well, that, I'm, that wasn't what I thought. I may get mixed up in my mind. But if God is always at the top, if God is always the focus, if I always love God, I'm not going to have a desire to do anything that rebels against God. I'm going to want to be with the Lord. Amen? Because I, because I love Him. The trouble is when I fall out of love with him. The trouble is when I leave my first love and I stop putting him first in my life. That's where the trouble comes in. But if God is first in my life, if I've been born again and I'm alive in Christ, I don't have to worry about sin. Now, do I repent every day? Absolutely. Do I go on the altar of repentance? Do I say, God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to wash my hands. I say that when I come out here. When I'm preaching, I say, God, wash my heart, cleanse my mind, cleanse my hands. That's proverbially speaking. Because I don't want to speak something that infects somebody else. I don't, want to, I don't want it to come out in my spirit. Now, I know there's things sometimes that I'm working on, but God, I pray, don't allow that to sort of come out and translate in, in, in that. God, I, I, I want to be, I, I be your messenger. I want the word of God to go forth. But with all of that said, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm, I'm just a nervous wreck. I'm not a nervous wreck about that. I'm born of God. I'm not fearful. I'm not saying, oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just afraid. I'm, I'm, I, my, my faith might shatter. No, I've got more confidence in the gospel. Amen? Amen. My faith is not weak. It's not this house of cards where I'm sort of tiptoeing around things. I'm not worried about that. Bless God. He saved me. He's redeemed me. If God is my first love, I'm not worried about everything else. Uh, 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 you say we're in the world. We're living in Babylonian times. That's true. There's there's a chaos out there. There's there's sin, there's evil, there's all kinds of things. Now I'm not gonna, there's certain places that that are marketing sin. I'm not gonna go hang out and 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 just live in those kind of places, but I'm not worried about walking through the world. Paul did that. Paul goes to Corinth, and Corinth was so bad and so pagan and so wicked that the great apostle Paul said, I don't even think God can build a church here in this place. And God said, Paul, you got to stay and you got to preach because I have much people in this city. And so what Paul had given up on, Paul stayed and he preached. That's how bad it was. But Paul didn't walk in there and say, oh, I'm afraid that my faith is going to, I'm afraid I'm going to sin. I'm not going to make it. He didn't say that. No, he walked around and said, wow, these people are so bad. They're, they're probably, they don't have a chance, but he never doubted his own faith. He never doubted the work of God in his own life. So what I'm saying is we've got to have a balance. We've got to understand that every day I live, I've got to repent. Every day I live, I've got to be cognizant of the fact that I am susceptible to sin. So I got to keep my life in check, but I don't walk around as some anemic Christian worried about it. If something happens, I take it to the Lord. God. For, forgive me. God, get that thought out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Help me, Lord. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? But I don't just feel like, oh, I'm, I'm totally lost now. Oh. Totally gone. No, because my confidence is in the Lord, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to belabor the point. Somebody say amen. 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 Uh, 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 this, the, these verses, by the way, let me just do a little, little exercise here. And uh, do you have your Apostolic Study Bible, Sister Laura? I know you just bought the Apostolic Study Bible, so you're in First John. Uh, Right there, chapter 3, and I'm going to read an expert. This is where, the benefits of this is where a study Bible can come in. So since I've talked a lot about study Bibles, let me sort of help illustrate for you the benefits. If we just read the text as it is, there could be cause, let's say, for, uh, uh, or there could be opportunity for misunderstanding. Especially if somebody's reading the Bible for the first time, and they're not able to remember all the previous passages that would counter and put the context of this in in proper place. So in in the Apostolic Study Bible, the one that she has, it said this, it says, those who are born again and abide in Christ, and this is in the bottom, in the commentary part, supplementary, supplementary, thank you, contents. Um, Those that are born again and abide in Christ, participate in God's nature for his seed continues within them. They cannot habitually or continually, and then they have in parentheses, the Greek verb tense implies an ongoing activity. The one who continually sins is of the devil, meaning that the one who has this habitual ongoing thing is of the devil. So the Apostolic Study Bible here clarifies that. Uh, Brother Brandon, I know you have the premier study Bible. It's another study Bible I've recommended. And it says this, quote, anyone who habitually sins, has obviously not been transformed by the power of the Spirit. John was not referring to sinless perfection, but rather to the visual practice of sinful acts. The differences between those who sin and justify their actions and those who sin and repair the failure. So the born-again believer is going to acknowledge when they make a mistake and say, hey, I got, I got to get this right with God. I got to make this right with God. And so that's just a little example there. Let's go to the next part in our uh, uh, our outline, and this is going to be chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, and that is this, the implications of God's love. So we got a lot of ground to cover here, and I don't know how much I can cover in the next 20 minutes here, but the implications of God's love. So this is the next part of this chapter. Then he's going to make a break, and then he's going to come back and almost restate this, but he's going to restate it in another way. So I'm going to go through here And then we'll get to chapter 4, and we can look at this a little bit closer. Now, we've been in chapter 2, and now we're in chapter 3, and John's warned us against false prophets. He's warned us against Antichrist. He's done all of this stuff, and now John counters this harsh reality and these rebukes, he counters it with love. And love, as I referred to the last week that we were on this, I said, love is the counterbalance to judgment and justice. And I spent a little bit of time on there. So now we're going to go into this. So chapter 3, verse 11, he says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay, that's a verse you can highlight in there, because this sort of sets the tone for the rest of this chapter. That we should love one another. John now is affirming that he is not bringing a new theology. He's adding no new thing. He's the last of the apostles to be alive. This is one of the last of the epistles to be added to the New Testament church. And John is saying, I'm not adding anything new. He said, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Everything I've told you about Jesus, everything I've showed you about the revelation, everything I've taught you, he's saying, leads us back to the same message that we've always heard, and that's this you should love one another. Now turn to somebody and say, be real. This is where being a Christian becomes real. Your revelation, your possession of truth, the measure of knowledge that you have, all of that, your worship, your devotion, your sacrifice, all of that is pressed down to produce What John just said that we love one another that there be a demonstration that there be an exercise that there be an active active posture of our life and that this is not coerced this is not put on but this is genuine it's authentic it's real. Love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother, wherefore wherefore he slew him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. The opposite of love there is this jealousy, this hatred, this envy. And he, he comes against his brother because his brother found favor in the eyes of God was pleasing to God but he was trying to manipulate the system he was trying to come to God on his own terms without getting into the the understanding of that and so Cain killed his brother marvel not my brethren in verse 13 if the world hate you he's saying look Cain killed Abel because Cain was trying to justify, he's trying to approach God on his own terms. And here is Abel who's serving God, who's honoring God. And Cain hated Abel. And what what John is saying, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. It's not you that they hate. It's It's themselves that they're upset and frustrated about. Because they are not right with God, and they can't get away from it, and they can't get away with it. And so they hate you. Here it is. We know that we have passed, and I want you to highlight this phrase in verse 14. This is a beautiful phrase, and I should come back and do an entire series just on this phrase. He said, we know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. I'll just pause and say this. This is the understanding of a born-again believer and the worldview of a Christian. John says, we have passed from death unto life. Before Christ, I was dead. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul, Paul echoed the same thing. Paul coined the same phrase. He said, before Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But because of Christ, now we are alive. The world sees themselves now as alive and death, something that's gonna come. The Christian says, No, it was death before Christ, and now I'm alive. Now I have hope. Now I have a future. Yes. There is an absolute uh, a contradiction of worldviews here, or a clash, a collision of worldviews. He says, We know that we have passed from death unto life. What is he saying? He's saying, The reason why they hate us, the reason why they hate you. It's because they don't know what you know. They think they're alive. YOLO. You only live once. We realized uh uh. We were dead, but now I'm alive. I'm not living for this moment right now, I'm living for eternity. The worldview has totally changed. The content, the whole game has changed now. Opened up our mind. Opened up our understanding. Everything in the world changes. And so John is contrasting. He's showing us the difference here. Remember, he's contrasted light and darkness. He's gone back and forth on all these things, truth and error. And here we are now, another worldview, difference of understanding. We're not going to see eye to eye. They are not going to understand like we understand. They're not going to think like we think because they don't know what we know yet. Thank God, the grace and the mercy of God can reach everyone. But right now, here's where we're at. And he says, we've passed from death unto life. And he said, how do we know that? He said, we know that when or because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, this is strong language here. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So, uh, well, let me go on. Because he, he's going to he's going to reiterate all of this uh, uh, in chapter four as well. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Everybody, take a deep breath. Whew. Have you ever been guilty of hatred? Have you ever? spoken those words I hate this is what John says he said whosoever hateth is a murderer has hatred ever overcome your heart has it ever overcome your spirit I'm not I'm not asking these questions for you to say yes because I know the answer I know the answer because I've been there too You've said the words and not realized what you were saying or maybe later on you reflected back on what you were saying or things changed and you regret. You can never go back. You can take those words back. And here John is saying, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Whoa, whoa, John, easy here. You want to talk about be real. You want to talk about getting real. John just got real, real quick. Don't tell me how long you've been in the church. Don't tell me how long you've been around. Don't tell me how much of the scripture you can quote. Don't tell me how great you can see. Don't tell me all those things. He said, what I want to know is, are you willing to lay down your life? Are you willing to serve? Well, I don't have time for that. You don't understand, Pastor. I've only got time for this, and it's not, you know, I need this and I need that. No, John says, no, no, no. If we're going to be real, do you want to be, be a Christian? Do you want to be a part of the body of Christ or not? And John gets real. Wow, it's quiet in here. It's okay. It's okay because our conscience is the loudest preacher in this room. I don't know what you said. I don't know what you did. I don't know, I don't know, what you, I don't know who you've encountered in the last few weeks. I don't know what's gone on, but you know when your conscience speaks up and John is not trying to condemn us. He's trying to inspire us and lift us and show us that we don't want to be like that. We want to be like Christ. And so... If Christ laid down his life, we ought to lay down our lives, but whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How can you have an abundance and you go by somebody that has need and you're not willing to share, you're not willing to bless, you're not willing to give? We're, we are in a, we are in the giving season. But, but look at our society. This is This is the least, this is the most capitalistic, greedy monetary month of the year. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And in the middle of all of that, there are some great testimonies and and inspiring stories and examples of even society who is pausing and, and, and while they're trying to make good on on all of this opportunity, they're also stopping and saying, hey, we've got to serve, we've got to help. But we as Christians, this should not be a once a year, this should not be a once a year event. Now we're doing things here, we're, we, you know, we're, we're collecting f- f- food pantry items or, or food drive items to, to bless families and help people we, we, we've given and, and, and we help and we, we do that as, as we can and as needs arise throughout the year, but but I, I know around this time, people are all of a mind to do that and praise God. But as a church, no, nobody should have to get up and say, hey, hey, we need to help someone. When you're walking by and you see someone in need, it's something inside of you that opens up and says, hey, hey, let, let me help. No, I'm not saying that you have to open up your house and let every Person that passes by inside. No, you, you, you've got to have protection. You've got to have wisdom and all that stuff. I, I understand that. But, but there's got to be a compassion inside of your heart. When there's a need and you can help. He says, look at this. Don't shut up your bowels of compassion. Don't shut those things up and say, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to love them. This is being real. John's not saying, John is saying, look, don't show me your Bible college degree. Is this all right? Don't don't tell me how long you've been a member in the church. I want to know, is the love of God at work in your life? Is God at work in your life? I, I, I wish I could help every person that I pass, every, as we say, every homeless person, every bum, whatever you want, alcoholic, drug addict. The reality is, I, I know that if I give them cash, they're just going to use it and I've understand. I've been in and out of the rehabs. I've sent people. I've picked people up. I've taken them. I've took them home. I've been to the drug addict's house and pulled somebody out and tried to rescue them. I've done all that. I get all that stuff. But there's got to be some kind of compassion when you drive by that at least says, "God have mercy on their soul. God help them. Lord, let there be grace and mercy in their life." You know why? You know why I feel that way? Because I know where God brought my family from. And if God couldn't reach in the gutters and God couldn't save, I wouldn't be here today. But I'm here today as as the the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of lifestyles like that. And I grew up with those things being foreign to me as far. I didn't even know it could possibly exist in my family. Because that's the power of the redemption and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if God loved you and if God loved me, then is it not automatic that we also would love? And hereby, he says, he said, look at this, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby, we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Look at this. This isn't about you judging me. This is about me judging me. Hereby we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. I know how the Spirit of God works in my heart and I'm going to be able to stand before God justly because His Spirit's at work in my life. I'm not here to judge you tonight as a pastor. I'm just preaching the Word. You're, you're your own judge and you need your own assurance. Hereby we know that we are of truth. By the way, Every good deed that you do does not need to be on Facebook. We cheapen it. Here am I. I'm going to help. Look at, look at me. I'm helping feed this person right now. Here, here. This, this poor guy didn't have anything. I'm giving him a pair of socks. Aren't I great? And we get back in our heated seat car and drive on down the road and feel good about ourselves because we've done something. Is that all right? Can I just be real tonight? I, I don't want to offend anybody. There's a lot of good, well-intentioned people that do that, but I'm thinking, okay, that's great that you do that, but who's getting the glory here? Be real. I should have warned you tonight. Thank you, Sister Crossing. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. What he's saying is if your heart is convicting you, if your heart is condemning you, God is greater. If tonight you sit here, not only tonight, if any service you sit here and think, oh me. You ought to thank God for that because it's the grace of God that's allowing you to see that so that God could help you. It's like the physician that comes to you, he has the responsibility twofold, one, to tell you how sick you are, and two, to give you the remedy or the path forward. He would not really be helping you if he said, hey, here's what you need to do, if he didn't explain why you need to do what you need to do. Because you might say, well, I don't really need to do that, I don't want to do that, until you realize the severity of it, you're saying, okay, okay, I'm going to do that. And so this is what he's saying. When your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And God can save you. God can reach you. But if your heart does not condemn you, and he's talking about children of God, he's saying, then you know you can stand before God and say, hey, you know what? Every service you come to, you do not have to repent. You do not have to feel uh, 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 condemnation. The point is not for you to come to service every single time and to think, okay, I've got to go to the altar. I've got to be the first one at the altar. No, the point, the hope is that you will be a mature Christian, that when you come, that you will mature to a point in life, yes, you're aware of yourself, but you'll come to a point where, hey, today I am here to lift up to God. I don't have to worry. I can amen the preacher and amen the word of God, not because, Not because I'm the one they're preaching to, but I'm a testimony that the word works. I can amen. Yes, that's right. Because the word, because I acknowledge that and I dealt with it. And now I'm a testimony saying, hey, you can overcome. Look at what happens when you give your life to the Lord. So he says, and whosoever we ask in verse 22, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We're living an obedient life. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. So here's how we know that we are in Christ when we're keeping the commandments of Christ, when we're loving. You ought to catch yourself doing things that you didn't used to do. So not like you. To, to, the, to the the man or the woman with rage. You ought to catch yourself driving down the road and somebody cut you off and think, huh, I used to, would have cussed and would have done all that stuff, but God bless them. You ought to catch yourself at at the work where something's going on and thinking, you know what, man, that would have really bothered me a few years ago. But now, (laughs) my life is so much more than that. You ought to catch yourself realizing, wow, wow, The Spirit of God has really done a work inside of my life. God has done some things in my life, and this becomes becomes my example. So we're seeing the implications of God's love, and we titled this, this section The Implications of God's Love because God's love, when it's really at work in your life, is going to manifest itself, and it manifests itself in this way, and that is that it changes who you are. And the love of God is there. Now, there's two, next po- two, two points in chapter 4. And the first six verses, we title, Test the Spirits. And then the last part of chapter 4 is, God is love. And this is the focus, this is the revelation that John focuses on. And in actuality, it's interesting that John basically takes everything we just read through, and he puts it back at the back end of chapter 4. And he says it again. But he gives us three motivators for that or, or, or three truths, let's say, about God's love. So let's go to chapter four, verses one, and, and we'll look at this real quick. John tells us here, now he's given us, and I'll give you a little hint. He's given us already a measure by which we know that we are a child of God. And the test for us is that we love one another. But John, in chapter 2, had dealt with false prophets. He dealt with Antichrist and other things. And so John says here in chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby... Know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Hear of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I want to title this section simply this, Test the Spirits. The old English word we use here is try the spirits. But literally, it means test the spirits. Test the spirits. Now, he's not just talking about, uh, um, he is talking about spiritual matters. But he's not just, in the sense, talking about testing a spirit, but he's talking about everything. We are body, soul, and spirit. We, We cannot separate our spirit from who we are. We are spiritual beings. Just as we are physical, literal beings, we are also spiritual beings. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, they've got a bad spirit? Or about, you know, their, uh, their, their uh, spirits are whatever. Now now the big word is vibe. Isn't that the big word of the day right now? Got vibe. I want good vibes. Everybody give me good vibes, right? Isn't that the word? You know, bad vibes. They're sending out bad vibes, good vibes, whatever vibes. It's another new word for whatever spirit. Their spirit. And we are spiritual beings. You can, you can be in a mood in a room all by yourself, and the moment somebody else walks into the room... The atmosphere can change. The spirit can change. The mood can change. Because we're spiritual beings. It's not necessarily uh, uh, just that person. They may bring in energy and all that stuff. But even the spirits can change. Have you ever been in an area and thought, oh, I got to get out of here. Or you're drawn to something. Or there's something. Because we're spiritual beings. And those spirits don't exist in material. They don't exist in just product and physical things. But but it's, it's, it's through people. It's through uh, uh, who we are. And so here John is telling us this. He's saying, uh, 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 try or test the spirits. Make sure. Don't just believe everything. Just because it says it's a Christian doesn't mean it's a Christian. Amen? Just because that's the label on the book, on the movie, on the whatever, on the church... Right? John John is saying, make sure. Don't just believe everything, but test it. Test it. Here we are told not to believe everything, but to prove it. Test it. Check it out. Investigate. Examine it. Make sure that it is what it says it is. Don't just believe it. Now, we extend extend a certain measure of... um, um, Faith, when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, awesome, that's great, you know, I take them at the word, but then, okay, let, let's, let's still, you know, let's examine some things, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, he, he's just, he's not really a Christian knocking on your door, maybe he's gonna, he's got bad intentions, so you examine some things, you make some judgments here, you test it, you prove it, you try it. And here, John has not only given us license, he is giving us instruction to try the spirits, test the spirits. Paul said this also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20, and I alluded to it the other week. He says this, he says, despise not prophesying's, And then after that, the very next verse, he said, prove all things or try all things. So in one moment, uh, Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise the prophesying, the moving of the spirit, the speaking, the proclamation, the foretelling of of the spirit. But he said, don't just take everything that's prophesied, prove it, test it. How do you prove it? How do you examine it? Well, I'll tell you the first measure of every prophecy is, is held against this right here. So if somebody comes and all of a sudden they want to prophesy, but they're contrary to the word of God, then you stay with the word of God. Amen. Prove it. Amen. Just cause it looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, whatever else, if it's saying something that's not Christian, then stay with the word. You've got to prove it. Is this all right? All right. I know every time that I step up to the pulpit and I preach, I am going to be judged and held accountable, not just by God, but by the hearers. If I'm preaching something that's not in the Word, somebody is going to say, oh, I don't know about that. Right? And the, more, uh, the bigger the platform, the more visible, the more, ex- uh, 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 the more voices there are, whatever, more people there are, the more accountable you are held by the word of God. So you've got to be careful. You don't get up and, and say things or, or, or uh, preach things or do things that are contrary to the word of God. So um, do I believe in prophesying? Do I believe in the moving of the spirit? You better believe it. Absolutely. Some of the most powerful times in my life have been in those moments. Have I ever been involved in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. But everything is held by the measure of the word of God. And sometimes when I prophesy, it's not me just getting up and acting like a, you know, uh, uh, just um, shooting from the hip, as they would say. But you preach through the Word of God, preach through the Word of God, because this is the measure. So Paul says, "Prove all things; hold fast that which is good." So you got to try the spirits, you got to test the spirits. So how do we test the spirits? Well, what's John talking about here? One of the big context issues that he's dealing with is false prophets and false teachers and antichrist. How do you test the spirits? Well, what does he say? Hereby we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. How do you test? By what they confess. What are they saying? That's how you test the spirit. Now, if we went to, to Paul... Paul says, not only does Paul say prove it, but Paul also gives an example that echoes the same thing that John says. John said, you're going to try them by what they say. If they are saying that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God, if they are saying that Jesus Christ is God, you've got to serve Him. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the great I Am. If they are preaching the truth of who Jesus is, well, then praise God. But if they are coming along and they're doing miracles, signs, and wonders, hear me, But they're not preaching the truth of who Jesus is. John said, prove it. Try it. Antichrist. That's what he called them. They went out from us because they were not of us. They they were coming along. And uh, docetism, I think, was the the title of the word. It was a a theology that came. It crept into the church later on. It would lead to... um, Oh, my mind's going blank. Church history, some of the things that would, they would get into it. Uh, Gnosticism. Gnosticism would say that Jesus Christ didn't really come. He really didn't die. We could sort of be good on our own, just by our own ability. And it's all just sort of a a mythology. It's just, it's a good parallel. Can I tell you, there's a lot of so-called churches today that are saying that. There's people, there's seminaries today that would Throw the Bible out and say, well, the Bible's a good guidebook. It sort of tells us a story of good and evil, but it doesn't really mean anything. John comes along and says, no, I watched Jesus. I held his hand. I saw him. I'm here to declare he's real. And anybody that says otherwise is antichrist. And you got to try the spirit and what they say. If what they're saying is right, then you can go with that. That's how you test the spirits. So here's what Paul says. And I close with this. And first, that's Second Timothy, rather. Second Timothy chapter three. verse eight. Paul is talking about the last times, and he says to uh, Timothy here, uh, he says, 2 Timothy, what did I say? Three and eight. Okay, so he's talking about last times. Uh, well, let's go to five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Uh, and then come down to verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then verse 8 is the key. He says, now as Janies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Leave that verse up there because I want you to write down that reference. This is an interesting thing because Paul goes back to an Old Testament example and uh, 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 Paul was very skilled and learned. He he understood, was aware of the oral traditions. They knew, uh, the Old Testament does not record the name of the magicians of Pharaoh that come out when Moses comes into the place, but they knew they had kept that, and he refers to them by name. Janies and Jambres here withstood Moses as they did, so do these also resist the truth. He's making a parallel between what Moses did in Pharaoh's court and what was happening at that time in the early church. And so when we go back, Moses goes into Pharaoh's court, and what does he do? He comes and says, God, I'm here from a mandate from God. God, you don't know, but he's the I am that I am. He's the one that created everything, by the way, and he tells me to tell you, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who are you? You're this guy that was around, you disappeared. You've been a shepherd for 40 years, and, that, and that's an abominable thing in, to the Egyptians. You're at the lowest end of life, and you are coming to the highest court in the world, and you're telling me that you have power? And Moses takes his rod, and he throws it down, and his rod, his staff, becomes a serpent. This is not a magic trick. It was not some uh, uh, quick-handedness. The Bible is very clear This was a supernatural transformation that defied all laws of biology, of science, of everything else that God did by the hand of Moses. He throws his staff down. It becomes a a serpent, and it now is slithering through this place, and the Bible says when Moses grabs the tail, it becomes a rod in his hand again, and God is doing these incredible signs and wonders. Moses throws the staff down. It becomes a snake, and Pharaoh brings out... Put this, this is, put this in your theology and understand. This is in the word. Pharaoh brings out his magicians. For lack of a better word, those, uh, 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 the old English word necromancers, were witches. They were in demonic uh, uh, ideologies. Paganism is very demonic. They were in the spirit realm, the evil spirit realm, and they come in. And Moses just did something by the hand of God. And the magicians take their staves. And the Bible records this. It gives testimony to this. When they threw their staves down, the demonic witches had power to turn their staves into serpents also. And Paul said, as Janies and Jambries withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. They marched in there and they did the same thing. They did the same thing. Of course, that's why there was 10 plagues. There's a whole process in that because every one of them, God was had, it took that long for Pharaoh to realize that God was really God. He was knocking down all their idols. First thing he did is Moses' snake ate up all their snakes. Then Moses goes picks it up, and he has a staff again, and those guys don't have one. But nonetheless, it still happened. And what Paul said is there can be, there can be demonic forces that come along that do the same supernatural things. But the testimony of whether or not they are of God is not the miracle they do, it's the message that they preach. Moses was saying, let my people go to Pharaoh, and he was telling the children of Israel, it's time to leave Egypt. Janies and Jambres were saying, we've got just as much power as your God, stay in Egypt. I'm gonna tell you, the difference is in the message. When the preacher says you can stay in your sin, and you don't have to change, and you don't have to do anything, and we can still have all these miracles, you better let red flags go up all over the place, because the test is what is confessed, and it's the Word of God. You still need a cross in your life. You still need an altar of repentance. You still need water of baptism. You still need transformation by the infilling of the Spirit of God. Because religion is not enough. Your good intentions is not enough. You need a miracle. And I can't offer that as a human, and nobody else can offer that. Pop psychology can't help you. You need a supernatural transformation of the Holy Ghost. Stand together with me tonight. So we test the spirits. We try the spirits. And we see whether they be of God. You say, well, pastor, they don't don't have church like we do. They don't have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. That doesn't matter. What are they preaching? Are they preaching you you must repent of your sins and be baptized? Are they going to the same Bible we're going to? They could have church on Monday night. God forbid. It doesn't matter. The measure is, are they preaching the same thing? And, and, And John says, try the spirits. Test the spirits. Try the spirits. He doesn't just give us license. He implores us to do that. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the spirit of the Lord tonight? Let's lift our hands. Lord, I thank you tonight, God, for your presence. Thank you for your church. I pray, God, your word would be in our hearts. Strengthen us, God. Edify us. Give us strength, Lord, in this season, I pray, God, help each and every one of us, every family, every home, every mother, every father. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me go longer tonight than I needed to. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you.